Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Your word says that we are to rejoice also, always, and so we rejoice today. We rejoice that our names are recorded in heaven. Lord, we're glad, we rejoice that if we're in a really bad spot, we know something better is coming. And if we're in a good place, we rejoice to know that even something better is coming. We want to rejoice always. You instruct us to pray without ceasing, and so we're here to pray. We need you. No one needs you more than we do. We need you in our homes. We need you in our health and our finances. We need you. We have family and friends that we long to see come to know you. We need you. Lord, save them. As we open up your word, teach us, teach us. And then your word says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It pleases you. We've gathered together, and we do give you thanks. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the written word. We own copies of your word. We thank you we have a place to gather together. We thank you that we have food to eat and clothes to wear and streets to drive on. We are a thankful people, and we're here on this day to give you thanks. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the best things I've ever done was last week I asked you, would you write down one thing you're thankful for and share it with me? And so many of you did that, and Walt Disney said a good movie makes you laugh and a good movie makes you cry. And I want you to know I had the time of my week reading your Connect cards and giving thanks to God with you. I thought I would just share a couple of them for you. I am thankful for underwear. <laughs> and obvi family and friends, uh, but that's a given. I love this one. I'm thankful for life, breath, sight, hearing, taste, smell, and everything else. When was the last time you gave thanks for the senses that we have a gift of God to us? Um, I love this one. I am thankful for queso cheese. <laughs> Me too. Did you know that Moe's opened up and they have the best queso? Isn't that great? I mean, how often when we eat, do we really thank God for food and the ability to enjoy it? Um, I loved this one. I'm thankful for sushi adoption, the sound of wind through pine trees, hot showers, and eternal life. Not in that order. <laughs> oh, here's one that really got me. I'm thankful to be sober with God in my heart. Wow, isn't that great? And then this one. I'm thankful as a newborn Christian out of the darkness and into the light. Thank you, smiling. Do you know that card just, it just made my whole week. It was uh, recently, Young Life had their 50th anniversary and my Young Life leader was there and I was able to go to him and say, thank you. Thank you so much for leading me to faith in Christ. And do you know what? Jesus has given me that same opportunity in the life of others to help introduce other people to faith in Christ. And Jesus invites all of us to be those people in the lives of others that we get the opportunity to help other people meet Jesus. 
And uh, that's what we're going to be learning about today. Today we're learning, the point of the message is that disciples are sent where they live, work, and play, that Jesus has deployed each of us. He sent us out where we live and work and play that we might help bring people to him. And that's why we're doing this series that's a, uh, we're calling it a fishing trip series. And we have three goals. The first is to let Jesus equip us to fish for men. You can do it. You can do it and we can help you. And secondly is to learn a very simple gospel presentation, the bad news and the good news, and that we must receive him. And thirdly, that we might learn and team up for the gospel, that we might learn to fish together because we, we, it works better together than alone. We've learned so far in the series that there were some men who followed Jesus for about 18 months, and then Jesus asked them to take another step. And the next step, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they dropped everything for the opportunity to learn from Jesus how to fish for men. And last week, we saw that after Jesus called them, he began to take them on fishing trips. So last week, we went on a fishing trip with Jesus to the town of Capernaum. See it up on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee? That Jesus' first fishing trip, they wanted to learn, so he took them with him to Capernaum, his home base, and he took them with him, and he took us. He, he took us into a synagogue, and he showed us how we can reach prepared people, prepared people. Now, today we're going to take another fishing trip, and Jesus is going to take us into a home, into a home to show us that a home is a great place to fish for people, a great place to fish for, friend, for our family and for our neighbors. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to, John, <clears throat> to Luke chapter 4. And as we read this, I want to help you learn how to read Scripture and kind of observe things in Scripture, okay? As we read, so we'll observe some things together. Second fishing trip, I want you to know it's the same day. It's the same day that we learned about last week. Then he got up, Jesus got up, and left the synagogue. What we learned about last week, how Jesus taught in the synagogue and cast out a demon, and he left the synagogue and entered Simon Peter's home. Now, Simon, now... Simon, he's going to be called, I'll call him Peter. A little bit later, we'll see he's called Cephas. But the first observation I want you to see is that Peter owned a home. If we read the other gospel accounts, Peter owned this home with his brother Andrew. So Peter and Andrew entered a home, and Jesus goes into the home. We also meet in the story a mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law. So from that, we learn what? That Peter was, help me, he was married. So Peter was married. Now, what do we know about Peter's wife? Well, obviously, the gospel was written by a man because we don't even know her name. <laughs> Come on, don't you think a lady would have given us that information? But, but in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, there's something that we do know about Peter's wife. In 1 Corinthians 9, 5, do not do we not have a right to take along a, help me, what a believing wife, um, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So Cephas, another name for Peter. So here we find Peter, and Peter had what kind of a wife? She was a believer, and we learn from this verse as well that she would often travel with Peter as he did his work as an apostle. She would be with him ministering with her. 
that's all we know from Scripture. Church tradition says that, that she was martyred as Peter was as well. Now, I want you to notice one other thing. We notice that Jesus had brothers, right? The brothers of the Lord. Hold that in your mind because we will come back to that later on. Because we're learning, right? We're learning how a home can be a good place to reach family. So, so notice that Jesus has half-brothers, and, and Peter has a wife who's a believer. And in our story as well, we discover he has a mother-in-law who lives in the home with them. Some of you groan at that, right? Hey, my mother-in-law lives with us, and, and she's great. So... Then he got up and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. Notice that Luke, who writes this, is a physician, a, a doctor. So he doesn't just say she was sick. He says she had a fever, but not just a fever. She had a high fever. So she's really sick, and they ask him, Peter, his mother, they, uh, probably others, they ask him to help her. Oh, Jesus, won't you heal her? And standing over her, she would have been in a bed like a doctor. He's standing over her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever. That sounds odd, doesn't he? Did he, he what did he do to the fever? He, oh, that's interesting. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. Now, it's interesting. Last week, and in a few verses, we're going to see that Jesus rebuked a demon and, and cast the demon out. And here he rebukes the fever and it leaves. And many of you know the story. Remember, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples and he's asleep. And they wake him up in the middle of the storm. And what does he do to the wind and the sea? He does what he, he rebukes the wind and the sea and they obey. Um, so here's my question. What is, what is a sickness and a demon in a storm, what do they all have in common? Someone said they're destructive. That's good. They're all the result of the fall. They're, listen, there, there were not sick people. There, there was not a devil. There was not, um, there was not a storm in the beginning. But, but the fall wrecked everything. And so Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost. He came into the world to begin to undo everything that sin had wrecked. And so Jesus rebukes the fever and it leaves. And he rebukes the demons and they come out. And he rebukes the storm and, it, and it's calm. <clears throat> Notice as well. He rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. Notice that. She was healed not just at once but totally it doesn't say the fever broke, and she said, oh, the fever's broke, but I still feel terrible. Uh -uh, I'm sure it'll take me several days to recover. It's not what, I mean, isn't that what usually happens after a high fever? But she was healed totally, and she got up, and right away she began to serve. You see, Jesus had been in the synagogue. A synagogue's a great way to reach out to prepared people, but now he's in a home. And in a home, he's reaching out to Peter's family in a home because a home is a great place to fish for people. Following the story more, now let's observe this. While the sun was setting, all those who had, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. Did you notice what time is it? The sun is setting. Anybody remember the significance of that? The Jewish Sabbath went from what? 
from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So now the Sabbath is ending, and what does that mean? That the people can do what? They can work. So they had all these rules binding the Sabbath, and if they'd have brought someone on the Sabbath, someone would have said that was work. But now the Sabbath is over, and now they're free. Now they can bring their family and their friends who are sick. They can bring them to Jesus. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them. Notice, again, Luke is a physician. They had various diseases, diseases brought them to him. I want you to know if you'll read the Gospels, you'll see very few people get to Jesus on their own. Almost everyone who gets to Jesus is brought by a friend or relative. And do you know that's true today too? That very few people ever get to Jesus on their own. They are brought by someone. And that's why we're doing this series. We're learning from Jesus how we can bring the people we love to Jesus and our, how our home can be a part of that. Because first Jesus ministered to family in the home, but now through the home he's reaching out to all the neighbors. As they bring their loved ones, their friends, their family members with various diseases, they brought them to him. And notice how Jesus heals them, laying his hand on what? Come on, say it for me, what? Each one of them. Now imagine this, there's this crowd, and Jesus didn't just say, what? Be healed. But he did it what? One by one. He did it personally. He looked at each one, he spoke to each one, he laid his hand on each one, and he healed them one by one. And he was healing them. <clears throat> Demons also were coming out of them, out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. Now, last week, those who were here, we learned that demons were angels who rebelled against God. They joined Satan in rebelling against God, and, and they were cast out of heaven. And they want to destroy people and devour people. And we learned last week that the demons recognize Jesus. You know why? Because demons are what? They are angels, right? And there was a time these demons were where? They were in heaven. And they had seen God the Son above, and now they saw God the Son above, and they knew who he was because they had seen him before, they're crying out, you are the Son of God, but rebuking them. Same word that he used to rebuke the fever. He rebuked them. He rebuked the de demons. He would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. He cast them out and said, be quiet, be quiet. Why is that? <laughs> you know why? Because Jesus wants us to be the ones to take the good news. He doesn't want demons the one telling others about Jesus. He wants us telling our friends and our family who he is. So he told the demons to be quiet. And here's another reason. Uh, Jesus knew that uh, the religious leaders would falsely accuse him of doing his miracles by the power of the devil. Uh, and he didn't want to add any gasoline to that fire. Let me show you that in Mark chapter 3, verse 23, 23, we read, And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? When Jesus would cast out a demon, 
that the religious leaders would say he was doing it by the power of Satan. Well, how can that be? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand and he is finished. What you're saying makes no sense, <laughs> that I would cast out demons by the power of the devil or heal people by the power of the devil. Now notice what he says next, but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder the house. Jesus has entered the world. He's entered the strong man's house and he's binding Satan. He binds Satan in the temptation as he overcomes the temptation in the desert. He's binding Satan now as he casts out demons. He's binding Satan as he dies on the cross for our sin and rises again, defeating sin and death and the devil. And you know why? He's bound Satan because he wants us to go into the strong man's house and plunder his possessions and set captives free. Every time we share the gospel with someone and they come to faith in Christ, we are plundering his house and setting his captives free. So, um, let me ask you a question. Why does Jesus do miracles? Why does he heal Peter's mother-in-law? Why, why, why does he cast out demons? Um, I think the first reason it really authenticates his identity. Jesus is no ordinary man. And, and his message, the gospel that he was bringing, this is no ordinary person. His, his miracles affirm his identity. Secondly, his miracles show compassion. God is love. And if God is love and he was on earth, we would expect him to do what? Loving things, wouldn't we? So he shows compassion toward people. What was miracle? Why did he do miracles that when Jesus was here on earth, he gave us a little picture of what it'll be like when he comes back? You ever wonder what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back? When Jesus was here the first time, what did he do with sick people? He did what? He healed them. Do you know what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? There will be no more sickness. Can anybody say hallelujah? I mean, don't you long to live on earth where no one gets sick? And listen, when Jesus was here on earth, he calmed the storm, didn't he? Don't you long to live on an earth where there's no more hurricanes, don't you? Can anybody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. One day it'll be true. And listen, when Jesus was here on earth, he cast demons out. Wouldn't you love to live on an earth with no evil and no evil one, wouldn't you? Can you say it? What? Hallelujah. And you know what Jesus did? He raised the dead. Because one day soon when Jesus comes back, there will be what? No more death. Can anybody say that? Come on. Hallelujah. I so long to live on earth when Jesus comes back, don't you? No more sickness, no more sorrows, no more tear, no more death. Jesus gave us just a little picture of that when he was here the first time. One more reason Jesus does miracles. Every miracle that Jesus does shows us the gospel. Every miracle he does is a picture of the gospel. When Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, that's a picture that every time someone comes to faith in Christ, what happens? The blind see, right? Don't we sing that? I mean, doesn't the great song say what? I once was blind, what? But now I see. Why? Because he opened our eyes. 
And when he opens the ears of the deaf, that shows how, listen, we once couldn't hear the gospel, now we can. When he opens the mouths of the mute, he's showing us that once we were silent, now we confess him. When he raises the dead, he shows us we once were dead and now we're alive. And when he casts the demons out of these people, he, he shows us once we were held captive and now we've been set free. And how about... How about Peter's mother-in-law? Listen, isn't this a picture of the gospel? Let me ask you. Was she healed because she served? Was she? You guys there? One more time. Was she healed because she served? No, no, she served because she was healed. And listen, that's a picture. We are not saved by doing good works. We do good works because we are saved, right? Isn't that the gospel? Let me show you that. And Peter's mother-in-law is such a picture of salvation, isn't she? Notice what, what the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Her healing was all grace. It was all grace. She didn't work for it. She didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it. It was grace. And so is our salvation. Do you hear it? We're not saved by being good. I'm sure there's many in here today who think, man, if I'm good enough, God will love me. No, no, that's not it. You see, the bad news of the gospel is just like Peter's mother-in-law, we're all sick. We have the dreaded sin disease. We were born in sin. We are sinners, and because of that, we sin. We commit crime after crime against God. We're in big trouble because we deserve God's wrath, and we can't save ourselves. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. For by grace, God is gracious. He loves people who don't deserve it. So because of that, God the Son put on flesh, came to earth to seek and save sinners, living a perfect life for us because we couldn't, and then going on to the cross and dying for our sins. <clears throat> if you ever want to know what awaits those who die outside of Christ, look at Jesus on the cross because Jesus experienced what we deserved. All of our sins were placed on Jesus on the cross, and he died the death we deserved to die in our place once and for all. Having paid in full the penalty for our sins, death couldn't hold him anymore. So he rose on the third day, proving he had conquered sin and death and the devil. And he offers us salvation, for by grace you have been saved. Well, what's that? It's saved from sin for forgiveness. It's being saved from death for life, an abundant life now and life that lasts forever. It's being saved from being held captive by the devil to be free from him. It's being saved from wasting our lives so that we would live a life of good works. And our part is faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. And I'll never forget the day that I put my faith in Jesus. And, and putting our faith in Jesus is really as simple as A and B and C, admit, believe, and commit. There was a day I admitted to Jesus, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And if you haven't, won't you do that now? And, and then I believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose, won't you? 
And then I committed to Jesus, the Savior. <clears throat> Jesus, I'm trusting in you, not my good works. I'm trusting in what you did for me. Come into my life and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. And he did. And I want you to come in and be Lord of my life. And from this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you, won't you? But look at the very next verse. For we are his workmanship. Listen, have you put your faith in Christ? We're his workmanship. The word here is poema. We're his poem. We're his, we're his uh, unique creation. We are his wor workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Help me here, what? For good works, not by good works, but for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. We've come to faith in Christ. Our eyes have been opened. Our ears have been opened. We've been raised from the dead. We've been healed. And Jesus says, I have good works for you. <laughs> Seemed to me we would say, well, what? what are they? And you know what he says? He says, follow me. Follow me and I'll show them to you. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You know what I get asked a lot? Do I have to, Smiley? Listen, if you're a Christian... You don't have to do anything. But listen, we get to. We get to. Now, I want you to picture a moment Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. What could she do? What could she do? What? Nothing, right? And then, and then Jesus healed her, and she felt great. She didn't say, do I have to serve? She said, I can't believe I can serve. I've been healed. I've been healed. I can serve. And she gladly got up and served. Shouldn't that be us? Do I have to do good works? Man, we get to. Do I have to fish for men? You don't have to do anything. Can you, can you believe that Jesus invites us to fish for men? So, on this second fishing trip. On the second fishing trip, Jesus takes his disciples into a home. He takes us into a home and he shows us that a home can be a very good place to, to fish for people, to fish for family, to fish for our neighbors. And, and that's what we've been learning today, that disciples are sent where they live, work, and play, that you live where you are because Jesus sent you there so that you might fish for people in your home with your family and your neighbors. So that's what we've learned. And, and so the, the action step for this week, what I want you to do this week is to practice CPR, to practice CPR, to cultivate and plant and reap, to think in terms of fishing, not just in reaping, but it's about cultivating, it's about planting, it's about reaping. Look in the story here. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. They had relationships with people. They were bringing family. They were bringing friends. They had cultivated, right? So we need to cultivate. Cultivate relationships with our family who don't know Christ and with our neighbors who don't. And then we need to plant, to sow gospel seeds, to sow gospel seeds, to have gospel conversations, and then to reap, and that is to invite people to respond. So here's my question for you today. Um, is, it, is it easier or harder to reach family than other people? Which is it? Isn't it interesting everybody says harder? Okay. 
Now, some questions are flawed. That question is flawed because some questions can't be answered yes or no. Some questions are better answered both and. If someone asks me, Smiley, is it easier or harder to reach family? I would say it's way easier to reach your family members than anyone else. And at the same time, it's way harder to reach your family than anyone else because we are so emotion emotionally involved. Now, some of you aren't convinced it's easy, so come with me. Who's in the house? You know who's in the house? Peter's in the house, right? How did Peter come to faith in Christ? How? Through his brother, Andrew, right? Some of you know the story, right, that Andrew was following John the Baptist. Remember the story? And Jesus walks by, and John says, there's the Lamb of God. And Andrew starts following Jesus, doesn't he? Now we pick up the story. Look at this in, in John chapter 1. Notice this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother. Isn't that what we would do? To go to our own brother, to someone we love? And he found first his own brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah. We found the Savior, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. It wasn't hard, was it? He went to his brother. He said, We found the Savior. And he brought him to Jesus. So that's who's in the house. Andrew, he had brought Peter, right? Who else is in the house? There's James and John. Don't you think one of them met Jesus first and then what? Brought his brother too. Who else is in the house? Peter's wife. How did Peter's wife come to faith in Christ? Peter shared with her. Who else is in the house? Peter's mother-in-law, right? It's way easier to reach family members than it is anyone else. But it's also harder. It's also harder. You know who else is in the house? Come on. Who's the most important person in the house? Come on, say it. What? Jesus! Did you realize how hard it was for him to reach his brothers? I mean, is there someone in your family that's really hard? It was so hard for Jesus. Uh, some of you, did you know that Jesus had brothers? Um, in, in Mark chapter 6, we, or Mark, yeah, we read, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? I mean, is this Jesus, isn't he the, the son of Mary? And brothers of James and Jose's. Jose and Judas and Simon are not his sisters with us, and they took offense at him. So notice, Jesus has brothers, okay? Now, I want you to particularly notice in here, James and Judas, short for Judas is Jude. We'll come back to them in just a minute. But notice, Jesus had brothers. You ever think how hard it would have been to have been Jesus' brother? I sure do. Mary always saying, Jesus never talks back. Jesus always does his chores. Jesus doesn't talk with his mouth full. Jesus, 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 his brothers were hard to reach. Look, look at the next verse in, in um, John chapter 7. Look at this. For not even his brothers were believing in him. Is there someone like that in your family that they're just slow to believe? Listen, Jesus knows what it's like. His own brothers who grew up with him, they were slow to believe. Know what changed them? Know what changed his brothers? It was after Jesus died, and then he rose. We pick up the story in 1 Corinthians 15. Let, let me show you the story here. The Apostle Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Um, let's say it again. Hallelujah. 
Aren't you glad he died for our sins? And then notice, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Aren't you glad he didn't stay dead? Let's say it. Hallelujah. But notice what happens next. Uh, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is, he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain un until now, but some have fallen asleep. It's not like one person saw this. Over 500 people saw him. But then notice what happens next. And then he appeared to, help me, who? James. That's not James and John. He appeared to Jesus' half-brother. And when his brother James and Jude saw Jesus having been dead and now alive, they came to faith in Christ. How do I know that? Remember where we started in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9? Remember what we read before? For do we not have a right to take along a believing wife even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord? James and Jude. Uh, James would become a leader in the church. Uh, and, and by the way, toward the end of the Bible, there's a book named James. And do you know who wrote that? Jesus' half-brother. It's not James and John. It's Jesus' half-brother. And then a few books after James, there's a book called Jude. And you know who Jude is? Jude is Jesus' half-brother. Slow to believe, but seeing Jesus alive, he came to faith in Christ. So don't give up. Don't give up on those family members that seem so slow to come. Remember, CPR, CPR, cultivate, plant, and reap. Cultivate, plant, and reap. Uh, last week I spoke, and then I gave a very simple gospel presentation. And after my simple gospel presentation, a man came up to me and he said, Smiley, I have a friend and I love my friend and I want him to come to Jesus so bad and I've shared the gospel with him and he hasn't come to faith in Christ. What am I doing wrong? And I said, listen, listen, uh, no, it's not what you're doing wrong. Really, there is low-hanging fruit of people that are easy to bring to faith in Christ. Uh, that's what this gospel presentation was about. But there's high-hanging fruit that, that, that are much harder to reach. So this week, I've been asking people, who in the New Testament was low-hanging fruit? And then I asked people, who's high-hanging fruit? And so I asked my wife, Karen, when you think of low-hanging fruit, who do you think of? And she said right away, Zacchaeus. And I said, well, why Zacchaeus? And she said, he heard Jesus was coming to town. And when he heard Jesus was coming to town, he, he found out the parade route, didn't he? And then when he got there and it was crowded, what did he do? He climbed up in the tree. He was, he was ready, right? So when Jesus saw him, here's someone leaning in who wants to see me. And so CPR happened really fast, didn't it? First the cultivate, hey, let's do lunch. And then the, the, the plant, he sowed gospel seed and he reaped. It happened really quick, didn't it? Sometimes it does because there is low-hanging fruit. When I thought of low-hanging fruit, the person I thought of was the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian who... Uh, who had come to Jerusalem because he wanted to find out about Jesus. And he's, on, he's in a chariot heading back to Ethiopia. And, and he's reading Isaiah 53. He's reading a messianic chapter. And the Holy Spirit takes Philip and, and brings him up to the chariot. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guides me? I mean, are you an evangelist? That puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? How can I understand this unless someone guides me? So he invites Peter up into the chariot, right? You see, cultivate 
and then plant. And from Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. They had a gospel conversation. He planted and he reaped. It happened really quick. Cultivate, plant, reap, right? Um, but, but there's high-hanging fruit, right? I mean, aren't Jesus' brothers? For over, it took over 33 years of cultivating and planting and reaping to see them come to faith. So, so don't give up. Well, I like to think really that there's kind of like three levels. There's people that are just open to the gospel. They're very low-hanging. And, and then kind of in the middle, you have people, they're somewhat open, but they have lots of questions. And then you have high-hanging fruit, people that are hostile to the faith. And um, so how do we know what we're dealing with? What I find helpful is early on when I meet someone, I'll let them know I go to church. It's interesting, the, the low-hanging fruit will generally say, well, where do you go to church? If they say nothing in response, I, I realize they're a little higher. Very early on in a relationship with someone, I'll let them know that Jesus means so much to me. And when people ask me more about Jesus, I know they're, they're low or they're, or they're at least open. Listen, with low-hanging fruit, we share the gospel with them. The CPR can happen very quickly because they're open. With people that are open but questioning, it's more of a process. That's when it's really good to see. I can tell you have some questions. Would you be willing to meet with me? We'll just read through the Gospel of John together. We'll just read together and, and listen, I'll help you get to know Jesus. And when you get to know him, then you can make a decision whether you want to follow him or not. And just meet with him. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who is the Word? What do we learn about the Word? And help them see Jesus. But what do we do with people that are hostile? Many of us are married to people and they are hostile to the faith. Many of us have children or parents that are hostile to the faith. What do we do with those that are high-hanging? Well, if you're married to someone hostile to the faith, it's probably not a good idea to keep putting Bible verses in their underwear. Or, or, or in their lunch. And, and this might work way better. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let them see Jesus changing you so they would want what you have. Uh, a former member here uh, a lady was raised in a Muslim family, and she heard, about, she heard the gospel, and she believed in the gospel, and her parents watched her life change. And you know what they said about her? Our hearts are broken that you have become a Christian, but you are a far better daughter to us as a Christian than you ever were as a Muslim. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing that our unbelieving husband, wife, or parent, or child, or neighbor could say? Listen, I'm not all that excited about that you've become a Christian, but you're a far better wife. You're a far better husband. You're a far, far better parent or child than you were when you didn't know Christ. And isn't that what we want our neighbors to say, isn't it? Let, your, let the high-hanging fruit see your love for people, how you serve others, 
Cal, you're a person of integrity. You be the first one to admit it when you're wrong. And the day will come when they will ask you why. And be ready. Be ready. Cultivate. Plant. Reap. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad you came to seek and save the lost, that you lived that life for us, died, and you rose, and you offer us salvation. You offer us eternal life as a free gift we receive by faith. And if you've never received that gift, won't you, won't you just admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I, I'm sorry. And won't you believe, I, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit? Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. And help me be the person you want me to be. Won't you trust him? If you have, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, thank you for inviting us to go with you into a home and to learn from you how we can use our home to, to reach out to our family and neighbors. Lord, I pray this week that we would seek to cultivate and plant and reap every day. And Lord, may we encounter low-hanging fruit and see people who come to faith in you and, and people that have questions and invite them to come and see Jesus with us. And Lord, I pray for all of us who have spouses or parents or children or neighbors who are so hostile to the faith. Lord, keep us from giving up. Keep us from giving up. Help us to let our light shine. Help us to let them see you changing us. And Lord, open up that door one day and draw them to you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.